the New Testament, one of the uh, main uh, letters that, uh, stories that talks about Jesus. If you're uh, using one of the Bibles in the pew, this is on page 884. Uh, so you can turn there if you'd like, or the verses are going to be up on the screen. I think sometimes it's good to see it in our hands, but if you want to follow along up there, that's great. Or click to that, whatever that looks like. And this is going to be our text that we're going to look at today for Easter. But before we do, I'm going to pray and just to ask that God would encourage our hearts this morning through his word. So let's pray together. God, we are grateful for today. We are grateful for your presence. We are grateful that you love us. We're so grateful, God, for the reality that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us, uh, for our sins, for our brokenness, so that we can know healing, so that we can know forgiveness, so that we can know new life in you. We're grateful for the fact that you rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, so that we can have new life. God, you know the things that we've brought in here with us today, the things we're carrying, the good, the great things, but also the lower and hard, difficult things, and everything in between. I just pray that you would make us aware of your presence and let us know that you care. I pray that you would give us ears to hear today, God, uh, that we would just hear from you and what you have for us. We just thank this all in your name. Amen. So today we're going to talk about Jesus' resurrection, as you do on Easter. And um, to, that is today. Last Sunday was re, is referred to as Palm Sunday. And that's the day where we commemorate uh, Jesus' royal entry into the city of Jerusalem at the start of the week leading up to his death. And the Bible says about that day of what happened, it says that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Who is this guy? Who is this? For 2,000 years, that same question has been asked countless times with a countless variety of answers. People have depicted him in different ways, written numerous works, composed songs, produced movies, penned poems. The subject of Jesus has been discussed and shared and debated at quite a few dinner tables, family gatherings, coffee shops, and dorm rooms. One scholar says, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of supermagnet to pull out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? It is from his birth that most of the human race dates its calendars, by his name that millions curse, and in his name that millions pray. Who is this? That ancient question that they said that first week is also the modern question. When I say, Jesus, what comes to your mind? When I say, Jesus, what do you think of him? Is he awe-inspiring or is he frustrating? Is he praiseworthy or is he confusing? Is he kind of amazing or is he kind of annoying? Is he headache-inducing or is he life-giving? Jesus, who is this? However you would answer, like I already said, I am so grateful that you brought your answer here with us today. I mean, maybe you've been here frequently. Maybe you're here annually. Maybe you came because someone asked you. Maybe you came because someone forced you. 
But I'm thankful that we have this time together this morning to look at Jesus and talk about him and see the significance of the resurrection. I want to consider that day that Jesus rose from the dead and how significant it is for us. And so I just want to walk through this story that we see in Luke 24. Ask, thinking how it helps us answer the question, who is this? It starts in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. These women came in in the early morning wanting to anoint him. I mean, wanting to take care of the body. I mean, it's been in the tomb for three days. The way it reads, it sounds like they were looking for a body. But as they enter, it's empty. It says in verse 4, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living? among the dead. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. The question that the angels ask these women is a reminder, but it's also a bit of a rebuke. I mean, it's a reminder because Jesus told them numerous times, I'm going to die and rise again. I'm going to die and rise again. And so that's in it where it's a little bit of also a rebuke because they should not have been surprised by this. They shouldn't have been coming looking for a body. They should have come looking for an empty tomb. This should not have been shocking. But it's still an interesting question that the angels ask them and we have to answer as well. Why do you look for life in dead places? Why do you look for life in dead places? And we're going to come back to that in a minute. It says in verse 8, And they remembered Jesus' words. And returning from the tomb, they told, they told all these things to the eleven disciples and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe the women. Famous, I mean men. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. No, doubt about the resurrection isn't a modern thing. Doubt about the resurrection happened on the day of the resurrection. The apostles thought their, the women's tale of an empty tomb and angels talking to them was idle talk, foolishness. Come on, you didn't see that. But Peter, he hears this and he's hopeful. He's curious. He went running to the tomb discovering it wasn't foolishness, but something to be marveled at. A dead man, who he just saw a couple days ago, is alive. This microchasm of interactions points to the first thing I want us to think about regarding the significance of the resurrection, the day of the resurrection. The resurrection is a moment in history that transformed human history. 
The resurrection is a moment in history that transformed human history. We, have some, we all know somebody who has passed away. My grandfather, who is dear to me, passed away about six years ago. I was there when it happened. I saw his body. I, we buried him. I did the funeral. I officiated his funeral. And so three days later, if someone told me that they saw him out and about walking around, I would think it was a sick, cruel joke. And I have a pretty mental sense of humor at times. What are you talking about? That didn't happen. It would be not even be funny. But if I went to his grave myself, if I saw it dug up and empty, if I didn't just see an empty casket, but saw him standing near it, looking at me and, hey, buddy, I would probably faint in shock. But after that, I would never be the same. I would never be the same if that happened. Author John Dixon makes the great statement that there is a resurrection-sized dent in the historical record. There is a resurrection-sized dent in the historical record. And that dent is based on two things. The historical reality of the empty tomb and the historical reality of eyewitnesses who encountered him. This is a reality. History points to the truth of the resurrection And that resurrection transformed human history. There are historical accounts. There are historical eyewitnesses. There is historical impact that reaches here today. Who is this Jesus? I challenge you not to think this story is foolishness, but to be like Peter and be curious. To be like Peter and come to the tomb to see for yourself To not let other people who think it's foolishness convince you by something that they haven't looked into genuinely, objectively, and honestly. Come to the tune and see for yourself. Don't just blow this off as insane idle tales. It is something to marvel at. The resurrection is a moment in history that transformed human history. And I hope that that wows you, makes you marvel at the reality of what God has done through Jesus. The story keeps going. This larger next section, there's two of his disciples had been out walking and though they didn't realize this person that they had met was Jesus at first, they eventually realized that this was Jesus. Been walking with them the whole time. They find his other followers and they tell this story. The Lord has risen indeed. And then we pick things back up in verse 36. So looking at verse 36, it says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, just appeared among them, and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit. As he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and see my feet, that it is myself. Touch me, see me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said, these, said this, he showed them his hands and feet. While they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Now, there is something hilarious about scaring somebody. 
Uh, again, my sense of humor. I, have, I love scaring my wife when we're at home. I love scaring my kids when we're at home. I have taught my kids how to scare my wife when we're at home. This is just part of how we operate. In fact, yesterday we were getting ready to go, uh, just go do some stuff, and my son and I just stood outside my daughter's door for like three minutes, a full three minutes, just waiting, and she opened the door, and we were like, ah, and scared her. This is how it works. It's funny when you can do that kind of a thing, but imagine that you're standing there talking within a room full of people, and somebody just appears appears in front of the midst of all of you. That's more than just, rah, that's, rah, totally scared, and you can know why they would be frightened. They're freaked out. They're terrified, even though I do think it would be really funny if Jesus just went, boo, kind of like that, but that's not what he did. At least it's not in the text. But he scares them. He freaks them out. He said, no, 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 no. And what does he say to them? Peace to you. He says, don't be troubled. He says, don't doubt. Here, let's, let's eat together. And this was a meal that ignited a movement. Peace to you. Don't be troubled. Don't doubt. He is saying this to them right in that moment, but he isn't saying it only about that moment. He introduced them to what life following him would be defined as. A life defined by peace. A life defined by do not fear. A life defined by there's nothing to doubt. There's nothing to have shame for. Peace to you. The reality of the resurrected Jesus, the power of Jesus resurrected, would extend beyond that moment to define their lives. And that carries over into the second thing. The resurrection was a moment in time which speaks hope into our moments in time. The resurrection speaks hope into every moment of our lives. Jesus, how, think, think about this. How often do we live in moments that can be perfectly defined as the opposite of peaceful? The moment I'm living in right now is nowhere near as peaceful. We know what that experience is like. How often are we not just afraid of what will happen, but we're terrified of what will happen? How often do we doubt and are so uncertain of how things are going to turn out or what the future holds? I mean, if the last two years have brought us anything, it's brought us a life defined by these questions. And so this is what's marvelous about Jesus is he speaks into these moments. His language is love, and through it, he has something to speak into every moment of our lives. To the couple fighting and not able to see eye to eye, he speaks his loving grace. To the parents trying to figure out what to do with their child, he speaks his loving mercy. To the, to the one who sees homelessness around us and says, that shouldn't be like that, he speaks his loving justice. To the one unsure of what to do, if they should take that job, should they relocate? Where do I, what's next? He speaks his loving wisdom. To the one who continues in bad decisions, not caring about their implications. He speaks his loving anger toward them, which sounds weird, but Jesus's is, you are better than this. And you can know different than this. To the one who doesn't know if they can keep going, he speaks 
his loving strength to the one who has people mistreating them and not wanting anything to do with them and making fun of them. He speaks his loving presence and care. To the one asking, what what am I meant to do with my life? He speaks his loving call. To the one fearful of the future or unsure of tomorrow, he speaks loving hope. And you need to know, every single one of us here, every single person watching online, he speaks all of these loving words to you. There isn't anyone that he doesn't love in this way. There isn't anyone that he doesn't speak these things to. This is one of the reasons why we gather as a community every week to discover what God is speaking into our lives. To be, we want to hear, we want to be reminded of what he says through his word and what he shares with us about his mercy, about his grace, about joy, about wisdom, about strength, about how much he cares for us. That's why we need one another. We were not meant to go through life alone. We're meant to go through life with people who can point us to him and encourage us and say, keep going, don't give up, and remind us of the life that God speaks into us. In fact, just practically, I want to invite you to come back and join us for what we have planned over the course of the next month. Next Friday, this coming Friday, we are going to do a movie night here in the gym. We're going to be showing Encanto. So this is going to be at 6.30 on Friday. Let me make some really strong clarifications. This is not just a movie night for parents with kids. This is for anyone. You might have already seen Encanto, but you haven't seen it with a room full of people. You haven't seen it with a room full of people that we know and friends who can gather together for a movie. So we're going to have popcorn for everyone. We're letting people in the neighborhood know. We would love to have just a full gym of people singing what we don't talk about, Bruno, and everything else. It's going to be a fun time. You need to be there. The reason why we're showing this is that then on Sunday, in the spirit of we don't talk about Bruno, we're going to be doing, starting a teaching series called We Need to Talk About Because there's just a lot of things that we avoid talking about that we shouldn't avoid talking about. There's a lot of things that the very nature of kind of pushing it down and burying it actually does more harm to us than good. And so we're going to be talking about things like emotional health, the impact of family, about sadness and hurt, about anxiety, about anger, and about depression. And we want to talk about these things. We don't want to talk about these things that get avoided a lot. But most importantly, we want to hear from the Bible about how Jesus gives us hope and wisdom and mercy and grace to process these things. And so I I want you to join us for this. You know, again, if this is your first time with us or first time in a while, I would just really encourage you, give us this series as a chance and be encouraged by this and see how God speaks hope into these practical areas of our lives. We, who is Jesus? He is the one who gives us hope, who loves us, who cares for us, and who wants us to truly live. The resurrection is a moment in history that speaks hopes into all of our moments. That leads to the last thing I want to point out in this story. It's in Luke 24. It begins in verse 45 where it says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are my witnesses. You are the witnesses of these things. You know, there's just something about sharing good news. When something good happens, you got to get that out. You want other people in on it. You want people to know this awesome news. I got into that school. I got the job. She said yes. The bears fired Nagy. You know, when awesome things happen, I admit I'm still processing this and kind of dealing with it. But when something really good happens, you can't contain it. You want to get it out. And that's the reality of the resurrection. It is good news that can't be contained. It can't be isolated. It has to get out and it has to be shared. And Jesus is saying this good news needs to be proclaimed. And that's the last thing about the resurrection. The resurrection is a moment of good news that invites us to experience true life. The resurrection is a moment of good news which invites us to experience true life. It's a moment of good news, but what is the good news that's being proclaimed? What is the good news? Well, Jesus said in verse 46, the, the, uh, said to them, thus it is written, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And then verse 47, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to, all, to everyone. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. What? That seems like kind of weird news. How is that good news? Well, repentance. To repent is I'm turning away from one life and entering into another. Like I said with the angels' questions, how do you look for life in dead places? And the reality is, is that we all look to different things to define and fill our lives. We look to careers, we look to finances, we look to relationships, pleasure, titles, accolades, many, many different things. And none of these are necessarily bad things. In fact, they're all really good things. But they cannot provide for our souls what we long for. None of these things that we look to for life, none of these things that we pursue and we go after can give us a joy that is greater than our circumstances. None of these things can give us a cure for what causes our brokenness. None of them can give us an identity or a purpose that transcends death. Not, I mean, everything that we pursue is good, but none of it can do that. None of it can give us a joy beyond our circumstances. None of it can give us a cure for our brokenness. None of it can give us an identity and a purpose that transcends death. Only Jesus can do that. So when we realize I have been pursuing life in all of these different ways, to repent is to say, I am acknowledging that these ways aren't working and I'm coming to Jesus. Because it's only in Jesus I can find that kind of joy, that kind of cure, that kind of identity and hope. So I repent. I turn from all the different ways to identify my life. And I'm coming to find him. And that identity. He says, for the forgiveness of sins. And that's what that's about. It's about receiving a new life. It's about receiving a new identity. When we do our own thing apart from God, apart from his ways, the Bible calls that sin. And sin is what causes the brokenness that we see in the world. 
What, what, how it, the brokenness we see in others' lives and in our lives. It's what that brokenness, that sin is what, that sin is what causes the brokenness between our relationship and God, with God. But Jesus in his death made a way for that to be healed. Jesus and his death on the cross took our sin and all the sin of the world onto himself so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored, so that we can be made right before God. He made it possible for not only us to receive forgiveness, but also to be restored back to God to make it possible where we can have new life in Jesus. It says in Ephesians 2, Now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And that's the good news. We can enter into that new life, that life that has a joy that goes beyond any circumstances that in. Life with God that forgives our sins and which heals our brokenness. That life which gives us an identity and a purpose that transcends death and allows us to join God in what he's doing. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way that we can be given the life that our hearts crave. He says in Ephesians 2, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Jesus alone saves us. Jesus alone brings us back to God. Jesus is not only, it's not about how good we are. It's not about how hard we've tried. It's not about how good of a person we've been. It's not about what our parents believed. It's not about how much better we are than somebody else. It has nothing to do with anything about us or anything we've done. It has everything to do with him. It's trusting with what he has done. And so what do we do? How do we receive that good news? How do we receive that new life which Jesus offers us? Well, Romans 10 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that, God, that you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, you hear these verses being read, and I want to ask you a couple of questions about them. Will you name Jesus as Lord of your life? To say, I, you know what, he is God and I am not. I'm following him. I'm not just doing my own thing. I'm trusting him for who he is, and I'm not trusting on my own abilities. I'm, he is Lord, not me. Do you believe in the truth and the reality that he was dead and he rose again? It doesn't mean that you don't have questions. It doesn't mean that you have it all figured out. But do you believe in the truth and the fact that Jesus was dead for three days and why he did that and rose from the dead? Will you align your life with him? That, that's what it means when it says believe in your heart. It isn't just a warm fuzzy. It's the idea of I'm aligning who I am with who he is. I'm aligning my identity in him. He is my identity now. Can you declare that you believe Jesus and all that he's done for you? Again, not that it means that all of our questions are answered, but I am trusting him. 
Now, when, when you say yes to these questions, not just I'm checking off boxes, not just mentally, but in the depth of who you are, when the depth of your soul, I, am, I want him to be, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I believe that you died in my place and rose again. I am aligning my life with you. I believe you, Jesus, and all you've done for me. That, when that's true for you here, that's when you begin to live. That's when your life begins truly. And the resurrection invites you into that life. Let today be the day that you find life in God made possible because of Jesus. Who is this man? How do you respond to Jesus today? You know, during, when Jesus, during this time when Jesus' death was happening, everything that led up to it and everything right after it, different people responded to Jesus in different ways. And you're probably, you are like one of them. Maybe you're like Judas. Judas had betrayed Jesus, and I'm not saying that you did that, but Ju- Judas felt so guilty and was so overcome with shame. The Bible tells us that he went and killed himself. Why? Because he didn't think he could be forgiven. And maybe you identify with Judas in that regard. You don't know my story. I mean, that all sounds really good, but he wouldn't love me. He wouldn't forgive me. I mean, here's the thing. Everything that you're thinking about, God already knows it. In fact, he knows it in better detail than what you remember it. And he loves you. He loves you. He loves you and he still died for you and he is still offering you life. You, if you think you can't be forgiven, just know this. You are so wrong. And Jesus loves you. And so don't, don't respond to him like Judas. Know how much he loves you and receives that. You know, Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers and he denied him three different times. One of those to a young woman. She went up to him and said, hey, this is one of his followers. You are following Jesus. And Peter gets angry and says, I don't even know him. Get out of here. And I always wonder what that young woman thought. Of G- I always thought, wonder what she thought of Jesus after experiencing one of his followers at their worst. And maybe that's you in here today. You've experienced some of Jesus' followers at their worst. Maybe it was a church that you were part of. Maybe it was somebody that you know that said that they loved him. Maybe you see all of these headlines that we see on TV of just people who are pastors or leaders doing evil things. I've been in a situation like that. I, I know this is part of my story. And so I don't minimize that. I don't brush that under the rug. I don't try to make excuses. It's horrible. It's painful. And many times it's evil. And if that is part of your story, I am so, so sorry. But I know in light of what's happened in my story, I know that not all church communities are like that. And I know not all faith communities are like that. And I would just want you to know that as well. Again, I'm not saying to ignore what you've experienced. I'm not saying to brush it off. I'm just saying not to have other places be guilty by association. Because no, no one's perfect. And this is not a perfect place. But we're trying to be a safe place and trying to be a safe place where people can come and find friendship and f- bring their, their trials and bring the difficulties that they're going through and find encouragement and most importantly, find Jesus. 
And so again, if you're like this servant girl, I get it. But give Jesus a chance. Don't hold him hostage because one of his so-called followers acted like a complete idiot. Thomas came and was full of doubts. Even though all the others had seen Jesus, Thomas didn't, and he refused to believe until he saw. He was full of doubts. And here's the thing. Doubts, there's nothing wrong with doubts. But if you have doubts and you have questions and you're not trying to find the answers and you're not trying to figure out what's true or what's not true, then those aren't doubts, those are excuses. Because just because you have a question and just because you have a doubt doesn't mean the thing you're doubting isn't true. And you have to figure that out. And so in the same way that Jesus came to Thomas and said, come look, see, touch, come, come experience me. Jesus is saying the same thing to you. And no, his hand isn't right there for you to touch the hole, but his word is there for you to read the truth of who he is. And there's people who are doing their best who could tell you their story. You have opportunities to find out what's true about Jesus. And I would encourage you to respond to him if you connect with Thomas to not allow those doubts to stop you. Allow those things to direct you to the truth of who Jesus is and find life in him. Maybe it's the chief priest. When the chief priest heard that Jesus has resurrected, he actually paid people to spread lies about him. The chief priest was antagonistic to Jesus because he felt threatened. He didn't want to let go of the life that he had. And maybe that's you in here. And that one's a little harder to admit because we're stubborn people. And we just don't want to acknowledge the fact that if he's God, that that means I can't be. And if this is all true, I might need to submit some stuff. And if I have to receive that life that's amazing and better than anything I could think of, that means I have to let go and acknowledge I've been pursuing a life that's shallow and dead and doesn't really give me the things I've wanted it to give. And I just want to say I get that. But Jesus wants to give you so much more. And don't allow your stubbornness to prevent you from receiving it. Because he has more available to you than anything you could grip onto and hold onto. Maybe you connect with part of Judas. Maybe this woman who interacted with Peter. Maybe Thomas. Maybe the chief priest. But I pray today that you would be like so many other women and men who saw him and heard him and believed in him, who realized the truth of who he is and found life in him. I pray today is the first day of many more for you to discover who Jesus is. I hope and I pray that today is a day where you decide to give faith community a chance to learn more about Jesus, to be encouraged, and to find support for life. And more importantly, I hope and pray that today is the day that you find life with him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the resurrection. We thank you that you conquered sin. We thank you that you conquered death. We thank you, God, that you invite us into an amazing life. God, I pray for my friends here today, for those who are watching at home as well. I thank you, God, that you know the ins and outs of everything that we go through, everything that we're dealing with all of the hard things and all the amazing things. And I pray, God, that you would just give us comfort. I pray that you would speak truth to our hearts. I pray that we would find life in you. I pray that today would be the day that people begin living for you. I pray that today would be the day that people realize the truth of who you are, stop making excuses, and trust you. I pray that today would be the day we would get excited about the fact that you 
are alive and we have a desire to proclaim that. You know everything that's going on in us. I pray you give us courage to respond to who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to do this last song. And as we do this last song, this is really an invitation. And wherever you're at here today, I just pray that you would receive, respond to that. If you know that you need to put your faith in Jesus, then let today be the day that you do that. Right here in the midst of this song, just to pray to God and say, God, I, I want you to be Lord of my life. I acknowledge that you have risen from the dead. I am lining my life with you. I, want to, I declare I believe in you, Jesus. I want to be your child. Again, you don't have to come to me for that. I don't need to stamp something. You don't need to get approval. You just need to tell that to God from the depth of your heart. And so you do that right now. And let today be the day that you find life. Let's sing to him.